Bulletin. This is Luke 22:47 through 62. One other announcement. It's Palm Sunday, so you know that next Sunday is Easter. Uh, the two biggest times when someone will come to church uh, is Easter and Christmas. And uh, often all it takes is simply to invite someone. You should have gotten in your inbox, and Barry, let's go ahead and send it out again tomorrow, an invitation to send out to other people. It's a beautiful graphic done by Evie Furbish, Evie who does a lot of our graphics that are spot on, and there's a short video by me about the question, is there life beyond the grave? I'd encourage you, take that video, uh, take that email invitation and send it out to friends and family. Will you come with me to Easter? Uh, you'd be surprised how people are just waiting for somebody to invite them to come. Okay, our scripture is Luke twenty-two forty-seven through 62. While he was still speaking, this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little while, uh, after a little while, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, today you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The word of the Lord. Hey, son, Daniel, do you mind grabbing me some water? Saw a movie not too uh, long ago, Hacksaw Ridge. Anybody seen that movie? Raise your hand if you've seen that movie. Amazing movie uh, about a, uh, a man. He was a medic uh, played by Andrew Garfield of Spider-Man fame uh, who was a non-combatant. In other words, he, didn't, he, he could not kill. In, in his conscience, he could not kill, but he wanted to be on the front lines as a medic. And uh, it goes through... Uh, all the difficulties and challenges of him uh, living out this calling in his life. And uh, on Hacksaw Ridge, it details as a medic uh, the incredible heroics of uh, what he did. And, uh, and uh, apparently they're quite true in terms of the things he did in terms of saving lives. Uh, powerful movie in how he affected all the people around him. It was his finest hour, if you do, if you will. And I found myself, as I was 
uh, watching this movie asking myself the question, if I was in a similar situation, would I be able to find the courage, thank you son, to be able to do what this man did, to be able to hang in there, to live with such bravery? Well, as we look at Peter, I think there is one thing that we can safely say and that this is not Peter's finest hour. Indeed, it's the antithesis of Peter's finest hour. One of the reasons we know that the Gospels are accurate and true is because of their willingness to paint the disciples in such an unworthy light to show them really as they are with all their faults and foibles. Much like the Hacksaw Ridge movie, I also find myself asking the same question. What would I do if I was in the same situation? Would I kowtow? Would I deny? Would I betray? Or would I stand my ground? Would I be counted with Christ no matter the cost? Well, one thing is for certain. The world has no place for a Peter, right? Only the strong survive. Only those who do not waver. The question is, does Jesus have a place for Peter? And further, we know the end of the story. This is only a chapter in Peter's life. It's not the end. We see Peter in the end being bold and brave. And we have to ask the question, what happened between the Peter of then and the Peter of that end? I want to suggest to you that what happened to Peter here is instrumental in producing the Peter that ultimately was in the end. Because it's only the broken who can recognize and receive the blessing of Christ. We must learn the lesson of Peter. Only the broken can receive the blessing of Christ. And it's only when we come to a true recognition of ourselves that we can truly understand who Jesus is and what he's done. And that is what changes a life. Throughout this sermon, we're going to look at three particular questions. Number one, we need to figure out the reasons for Peter's fall. How did he go from such heights to such lows? Two, we have to examine the results of Peter's fall. What did this mean in Peter's life? The betrayal, how did it shape and change Peter? And finally, we need to look at the redemption that came from Peter's fall how God used it in his life, the final result. Well, let's take point number one, the reasons for Peter's fall. If you remember, I've been preaching on the background. Jesus has been at the Last Supper. He's washed the disciples' feet. He's uh, given them the cup. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. He's told them that one is going to betray them. They've gone to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus has been making predictions throughout the night. In Mark 14, a parallel gospel, he's communicated to the disciples that you will all fall away, every single one of you. As it is written, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Peter piped up then and said, even if all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said in Mark, I tell you the truth, today, yes, tonight, even before the rooster crows twice, you yourselves will, yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. They've been in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has been praying. And the crowd comes. 
there's an arrest and there's a battle. And we see Judas with that kiss, the most infamous kiss of all kisses. As Jesus looks at his friend and says, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? The disciples are blindsided. And one of them says, shall we strike this people with a sword, this, this uh, army against us? And it says in Luke twenty-two fifty, and one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said no more of this. We know from another gospel that that was Peter swinging with all the accuracy of a fisherman. You'll know if he was trying to cut off his head, bad swing. If he was trying to cut off his ear, very impressive. But after this, everything unravels and it says that they all flee. However, they don't all flee away. They have suddenly realized as this crowd has come, all the chief officials and priests and the, the guard of the temple. They've panicked, if you will. They've run. In fact, it says, I believe in the book of Mark, that they ran and one even grabbed a tunic of one of the people. And he ran and literally ripped it off of his body. And he ran naked, trying to get away from this crowd. So great is their terror. But Peter decides to follow at a distance. His words are a little bit ironic, aren't they? Peter following the Lord, but at a distance. Why is Peter following at a distance? Perhaps the words are echoing all too fresh in his mind. Even if all fall away, I will not. Even if I have to die I, with you, I will not deny you. See, the adrenaline and the bravado has worn off with the sword, right? And reality is kicked in. He's just a man. But he can't leave Jesus. And so he starts to be in this difficult decision. And so he follows at a distance. Verse 55. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, they sat down together. And Peter sat down among them. Peter's sitting with the people in this nightmarish night. It's almost cartoonish, if you will. And the denials start as Jesus is sitting, trying to blend in with the crowd, trying to keep a low profile. He's in, but not quite in. A servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. And here it is, Jesus, uh, Peter's opportunity to speak up and to say, yes, this is my Lord and Savior. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. I can see the crowd sort of peering in, right? Over the firelight, looking closely at this man. I wonder if Peter thought in his mouth and stopped for a second. Did I just say that? A little while later, someone saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter again said, Man, I'm not. Again, a second time. And then after an interval of about an hour... Still another ministered saying, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. Mark puts it even more bluntly as Peter begins to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. Calling down a curse on yourself would be something like this, and may God damn me if I know this man. And may God damn you as well. 
Such forcefulness is he communicating because he knows it's the third time. He's in a razor's edge, if you will, of being found out. Why does he keep staying? You wonder that? I mean, after the first time, why didn't he just get up and leave? Are those words echoing in his mind? I'll never deny you. Fall, fall away. Why didn't Peter speak up? Why didn't he say, I mean, this was the one who with Jesus, he'd even done miracles in Jesus' name. Stood before 10,000 people boasting of the Savior and yet here he is not. The answer is quite simple. Self-preservation. He loves his life. He wants to live. He doesn't want to die. In fact, he loves his life more than he loves Jesus. And so in this situation, which theoretically and hypothetically he was so sure he would never cave, he finds himself doing that. Surely we can relate at some point to this, haven't? Can't we? Some point when there was opportunity in a crowd in a group to speak up about your love for Christ where we've kept quiet. I don't know if it's ever been life or death for us. Far less than that most likely. But reputation or popularity or disapproval or parents' love, I don't know. Peter loved his life more than he loved Christ. It's that plain and simple. So why does Peter stick around? What ultimately is the reason for Peter's fall? Why can't he speak up? The answer is pride. Peter's pride in himself, in his ability. See, in the uh, upper room or in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter saw himself as strong. Tradition tells us that he apparently was a big man. He was a fisherman. He was boisterous. He was impetuous. He didn't fear anyone. Heck, even Jesus called him the rock. I will stay. I have the power to be loyal, to be brave, no matter what, Jesus. His pride in his ability was his downfall. And so was his pride by comparison. Right? Even if all others, all these other guys, all these disciples, even if they fall away, not me, because compared to them, I am a rock. See, Peter didn't really get it at the end. Peter was looking for a king, but he didn't need a savior. See, a savior means I'm broken, a savior means I'm helpless. A savior means I'm not all that. A savior means I'm desperately flawed. No, Peter was looking for someone to lay down his sword with. To give his allegiance as a great knight to a king. Not as a beggar before a rich man. Peter had not come face to face with himself. And it was this night where Peter was coming face to face with himself. And it was not pretty. Peter had thought he was indestructible. Now he realized he was not. 
I was thinking about Peter, and I, it came to mind the, uh, the, the story, the failing of the ship that was too great to fall, right? The HMS Titanic, 1912. More than twice the displacement of the biggest battleship. It was as long as four city blocks. It was capable of carrying more than 3,000 people in luxury. It was stupendous and admirable. Indeed, when people stood by it, they said that they felt like ants next to it. It was the culmination of the most self-confident decade in human history. But we know the truth, right? Even though the designers had made the Titanic immune to collision with any other ships, they had forgotten that nature has more massive obstacles. Three million rivets forgot what cold could do with rivets. They'd even installed this new contraption, Marconi's radio. And, but instead of having any protocols, instead of listening in for other ships that were warning about icebergs, it was clogged up with first-class passengers who were sending messages back home. Something like, I'm on the Titanic right now. Isn't this great? 1,517 passengers went down that night. The Titanic sunk two miles down to the bottom of the ocean. Well, what about me and what about you? Some of us, maybe all of us, we think we're Peter. Indestructible. Strong. Faithful. Unwavering. We don't need a savior, we need a king. Somebody to give our allegiance to. Not somebody to give our sins to. And so our confidence is in ourselves. Jesus isn't a savior, he's simply a validator. Jesus, look at what I've done. My service in the church, all the time and money I spend. Look at my morality. I'm not like those other people. Surely you don't need something like a Silas project. <laughs> my accomplishments, my name and society, the degrees on my wall. Jesus, validate me as I lay my sword in front of your feet. But you see, Jesus came into the world to save failures. All of us have denied him. We're honest. When we choose between our life and God's, we choose ours. We've all denied Him. We've all fallen away, one time or another. See, there's really only two types of people in the world those who are traitors and those who know they're traitors. So, which one are you? Until you recognize yourself, Jesus can't or won't do anything with you. Because it's only the broken who can receive the blessing of Christ. These were the reasons for Peter's fall. Let's talk about the results. This was undoubtedly the worst night of Peter's life, wasn't it? When you come face to face with yourself and it's not very pretty. I don't know if you've had one of those nights yet or days. I have. 
See, there's something that happens when you straddle the fence. You're no nearer to anyone, are you? You're pulled. You have no peace. And so as they kindled the fire and Peter sat down, he who was so proud was oh so quiet. He just wanted to blend in, right? Disappear. You ever felt like that? I find it ironic that the first person that really brought him low was the slave girl, right? Not an army anymore. It's a slave girl. That means she's young. That means she's female. And that means she's a slave. You really can't get any lower than that. Her testimony has no validity whatsoever. And yet she calls him out. And everything stops as every face begins to peer at him. Why was Peter so afraid at that time? Here's why. We don't have it in the passage, but in Luke uh, 22, 63, the very next verse, it says, Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. The NIV actually puts it this way, that they began to mock him and beat him. But that word began is not in the Greek. And it's not chronological. I wish the NIV had not used that word because it's very clear. It's in the imperfect tense. What does that mean? It means it's going on right then. And we know from the fact that because Jesus looked at Peter, that it is within eyeshot and earshot of Peter as he's sitting down. In other words, as Peter's sitting around that fire, the men are mocking and beating Jesus. They're blindfolding him and demanding prophecy who hits you. And they are saying many other insulting things to him. They're beating him and terrorizing him right there. And notice what it says, the third person that denies him. It says about an hour later. We sort of bring this and collapse this and think it happened in five minutes, but it did not. In other words, Peter's sitting around that fire for at least an hour, more than an hour, as this is going on. And Peter is seeing what happens to people who are associated with Jesus Peter's hearing the screams. And Peter loves Jesus. But he's frozen. He can't leave. And he can't go. He's helpless. And so he gives the first denial. You know, once you give the first denial, the second becomes much harder, doesn't it? Right? Why, why did I say that? You know, another opportunity comes along, but you've already dug out. Now to go ahead and say something about Jesus, about being with Jesus, is even more difficult because I said I was over here, my credibility. And so Peter continues to dig a grave for himself. He can't get out of it or won't get out of it. What do you think Peter is thinking about for that hour? What do you think the crowd is talking about for that hour around that campfire? Oh man, his time has really come. Yeah, there's this other band of people too. Word on the street is they're out looking for him. I wonder what they're going to do to him. You think they're going to crucify him? Yeah, probably. What about the very end? 
as Peter is tortured and agonized. And at the very end, when he, summoning up all his rage and anger and fear, calls down curses from God, saying, I don't know the man. And Jesus looks at Peter, the scripture says. I was in that look. I mean, Jesus already knew he was going to betray him, right? Couldn't be anger. I don't think it was shame. I think it was love. Because Jesus loved Peter. In fact, the very reason why he was going through all this was to rescue Peter. And Peter looked at his own heart and his own words that just came out of his mouth and he looked at the love that Christ showed in his eyes. What else could he do but go out and weep bitterly? What was worse in the end for Peter? Was it to deny him? To straddle the fence? Or to be counted one with Christ? Whatever that might come. I think in the end, it was the denial, the psychological shame that Peter had to do it all over again. See, all of us have felt like Peter. It's really hard to follow Jesus. But it's even harder to follow him halfway, isn't it? I think of one of my favorite theologians, Garth Brooks. That great sovereign saint. He has a great song. It's called Standing Outside the Fire. He says in his song, We call them cool, those hearts that have no scars to show, the ones that never do let go and risk the tables being turned. We call them fools who have to dance within the flame, who chance the sorrow and the shame that always comes with getting burned. We call them strong, those who face the world alone, who seem to get by on their own, those who will never take the fall. We call them weak, who are unable to resist the slightest chance love might exist, and for that forsake it all. They're so hell-bent on giving, walking a wire, convinced it's not living if you stand outside the fire. Friends, it's not worth it to live a halfway life for Christ, is it? For some of you, this is your life. Like this guy, right? We invented Nate for Sunday. And then there's Nate the rest of the week. The reality is we're sitting down with everyone else. Just trying to blend in. Because we so desperately want the approval of the crowd. And we're so far beyond the first denial. We're at like denial 10. That we don't know if we could ever, ever dig out of that hole. The reality is the Christian life is not difficult. The Christian life is impossible. Because your problem is not your too weak. Your problem is you're too strong. You've trusted your resources, your allegiance, your sword. When what Christ wants is surrender. Christ wants his acknowledgement that you don't have it all. That you need someone other than yourself. Even youths 
stumble and grow tired and fail, but those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. And so the call of this passage, the lesson we learn, is to go all in. Not in allegiance, but dependence. All in with devotion to Christ. No matter what the consequences. Not being strong in ourselves, but being strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Peter had to learn that he had no power. Have we learned that? Until you do, you'll continue to stand outside the fire. Because it's only the broken who can receive the blessing of Christ. I finish with the finality, the redemption that came from Peter's fall. We haven't talked much about Judas, have we? You know, there was sorrow from both men, right? We, we know in a different section that Judas was sorry that he went in and he said, I betrayed innocent blood. Peter wept bitterly. But there was a crucial difference between the two. Judas was sorry for himself. He wasn't sorry for his sin. But Peter was oh so sorry, not only for himself, but sorry for his, his sin. Peter came face to face with himself. And it was when he came face to face with himself that he remembered Christ's words. But I have prayed for you. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Peter has to live out the rest of that night. But we know what's coming, right? The empty tomb. And Peter's heart grows even bigger with hope. And then on the beach, as Jesus kindles a fire, and they're out fishing, what else do they do? They don't know. And they recognize it's the Lord. And Peter dives into the water to come be with Christ, and Christ reinstates him. Remember, Peter, do you love me? Well, you know all things, Lord. You know I love you. Jesus doesn't repudiate him, but rather reinstates him. Feed my sheep. You're not disqualified. It's 50 days later on Pentecost where we see Peter preaching the gospel boldly in the very place where he denied Christ. Why? Well, the pat answer is simple. The Holy Spirit has come down. He's received power. He can see. Yeah, I think that's part of that. Obviously, that's a critical part of that. But I think it's more than that for Peter. See, I think as Peter is standing there before those 3,000 people, his eyes can't help but glance over to that street corner. There's the place where I denied him. And he loved me anyways. Every day as he preached the gospel, he remembers the darkness of his heart and the love of Christ. See, Peter was the apostle whose heart had been set free. Peter was the one who actually really got to see that here is one who knows me at my worst and loves me anyways. Who really does that? Jesus Christ really did come into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Do you know it?
Have you come to the end of yourself? It's only when you come to the face with yourself that you can really see him for who he is because it's only the broken who can receive the blessing of Christ. Follow the path of Peter if you haven't already. Give up on yourself. Stop living a life that's halfway. See yourself in the mirror and entrust yourself fully to his love. And you will begin to know grace for the first time. A true grace that cannot help but change your heart. A true grace that you cannot help but speak about. A true grace that cannot help but bring joy and peace to your heart. Because Jesus knows me for who I really am. And he loves me anyways. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, your love, Lord, it does reach to the heavens. Lord, we thank you for the example of Peter, how easy to see ourselves if we're willing to look. And yet you came into the world to save sinners. Lord, help us not leave. Help us not rest until we have come to face, face to face with the reality that we are broken people in need of a Savior. And minister to us, Lord, and show us that your love never fails. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.